and welcome to another edition of Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook watch show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. My name is Kelsey Harkness, and I'm a senior news producer here with The Daily Signal. And my name is Ginny Maltabano. I'm a contributor to The Daily Signal. Ginny, so glad to have you joining me today as our co-host. All right, so we have a lot to get into today. Kicking it off with the NFL. Not talking about football. Don't worry, guys. We're talking about the NFL hiring male dancers for the first time in the league's history. Two teams, the New Orleans Saints and the L.A. Rams, will feature male cheerleaders on the sidelines during games. Now, Jenny, when I first read about this story, I was a little confused because I was like, wait, there have been male cheerleaders for a while. They're always there. Um, you know, as male stunt stuntmen helping the female cheerleaders do all their crazy flips and and whatnot. Um, but this is actually different. What these male dancers are going to be doing now is actually performing the same dance moves as their female counterparts. So, what do you think of this? I mean, I think it's I think it's fine. I just wonder when the NFL will become about football again. Personally, even though it's not really my favorite thing to watch, it just seems like. Everything in the news cycle the past, what, year now? It just hasn't been about the game itself. Although it's it's two teams doing these um, male dancers. It'll be interesting to see. And you actually found some fun presidential trivia about yes. male cheerleaders. You want to share? Yeah. Well, fun fact, guys. If, you have, if you're against male dancers or male cheerleaders in the NFL, George W. Bush was a cheerleader in high school. Uh, Reagan was a cheerleader. Eisenhower was a cheerleader, and Roosevelt was a cheerleader. How about who, that? Who knew? It's a stacked lineup. Uh, I, I'm so I was very surprised to learn that that we have so many presidents with a history in cheerleading. I think, you know, I, I have two. I've well, I guess really three opinions on this NFL story. One, um, I I don't really care about the NFL. I agree with you that they are getting way too political. I'm from Connecticut. We never really had a football team. I mean, supposedly we, I mean, certainly none in the NFL. We have UConn, but they're so terrible. I don't think it even counts. Um, So I've just never been into football, but I think this is part of a broader agenda to sort of um, make men and women the same you know we can't just have female dancers male dancers have to do it too now that said there are plenty of men who are extremely talented dancers can and should get up there and show off their moves Um, but I do think that you know on one hand the public might not care that much about it if they notice it on the other hand it, it feels a little bit politically correct it does I agree with you And in other news, Snapchat related, I'm sure a lot of you are frequent Snapchatters. So it used to be when people would go to plastic surgeons wanting to get work done, it would be because usually they'd see a celebrity, like, you know, Angelina Jolie, whatever. I want her nose. I want her lips. But now a lot of doctors are saying people are coming in with photos of themselves filtered on Snapchat. So if you're not familiar, when you go on Snapchat, they have all these filters that make you just look great because, you know, they make your eyes bigger, your lips fuller, all these things. It's hard not to like, but now they're calling it Snapchat dysmorphia. They're bringing in these photos of themselves doctored on an app to get this look that a lot of doctors are saying is unattainable and blurring the line of reality and fantasy. Kelsey, what do you think? Oh, this is kind of scary. I've always thought, you know, it's like a dark hole you go down when you get involved in plastic surgery and so forth. That said, you know, if 
you know, you, some women and men choose plastic surgery to address a deep insecurity. That's their business, not mine. But what I found interesting about this is that the Washington Post reported that in a 2017 survey, the Amer- American Academy of Facial and Plastic Reconstructive Surgery found that 55% of plastic surgeons said patients had requested surgery to look better on social media apps, which was up from it was up 13% from the previous year. 13% is a big jump in just one year. And I understand social media makes you look good, but these filters are, you know, think of the word filter. They're a filter from reality. I think it's um, kind of unfortunate that we have more and more young women and men um, seeking out to filter reality when really they probably are beautiful just the way they are. 55%, that's more than half. Yeah, more than half of all people who are going in to get plastic surgery. That is pretty crazy. It is. So in our next topic, (laughs) so looks related. So there was an op-ed that came out called I'm Latina and I find Rihanna's skinny brows problematic. Very fitting for the show. Very fitting for the show. (laughs) Kelsey, why don't you take it away? Okay. So this came after Rihanna took the cover of British Vogue and she dared to have a set of ultra skinny eyebrows. So a writer in Marie Claire named Christina Chavez, I hope I pronounced her name correctly, had a problem with these skinny brows. They were very skinny. Um, So this is what Christina wrote, quote, to me and thousands of other Mexican and Mexican-American girls looking at these photos, Riri's brows look a lot like the Chola brows our mothers feared we would one day wear the brows that are now untouchable and unwearable to women like me, especially in conjunction with hoop earrings and God forbid lip liner. She also wrote that I guarantee had say JLo or Gina Rodriguez graced the cover of a magazine with pencil thin brows. They would have been ripped apart on the internet for looking like a girl from the hood at best or chola at worst to most Mexican and Mexican American women drawn on eyebrows are a look historically representative of a marginalized cultural culture, my culture, and have become a Latinx street style viewed as trashy by the rest of society. That is until Rihanna wears them. I understand that some people may not see Rihanna's photos and immediately think Chola, but for her and the Latinas among us who have faced persecution for our appearances for decades and for the Cholas I knew growing up who took immense pride in their look, we will only ever see Chola brows no matter how much you dress them up. What do you think? Are these brows really problematic or is she getting too offended? I do think she's getting too offended. But with that being said, I understand that clearly there's a history here for this writer. And, you know, there are stereotypes in our cultures and different cultures. And clearly she's aware of that. However, I think to draw conclusions and draw these lines between Rihanna wanting to make a fashion statement, which all women, all men are privy to, to be able to make, you know, whatever kind of fashion statements they want. I I do think that that in and of itself is a bit of a stretch. Yeah, and what I struggle with this is we don't know if Rihanna was simply out there making a fashion or beauty statement or if she was making a more cultural statement um, that, you know, sort of leads into what this writer was talking about here with the history of uh, these skinny brows. But it felt, you know, as an outsider, someone who's not part of their culture, it sounded kind of weird for her to claim these skinny brows as just their own because skinny brows have 
you know, they, they exist in all different cultures, including white cultures. Um, in it, it, when I read this, I was reminded of uh, one, one of my favorite pieces that Mary Catherine Hamm, uh, a writer at the Federalist and contributor to CNN, has ever written about her eyebrows. The title is, I'm sorry and I want you back. One woman's open letter to her eyebrows. And she writes, I don't have many regrets, but you are among them. I did you wrong. And it's a whole essay written to her eyebrows about how much she regrets plucking them as a young girl. Because I remember growing up, skinny brows were something that a lot of people actually desired. Um, and, you know, if you pluck them too much, eventually they're going to stop growing back. And that's what happened to Mary Catherine Ham. Well, next up, we have a story that was in the Federalist about IVF, um, which has to do with people who can't get pregnant and fertility. And this one lawyer, um, she wrote this piece about her seven miscarriages and the infertility road that she went down, how she came out of it and her story. And it, it was deeply moving, Kelsey. Yes, yeah, so this was another story that we flagged over from our friends at The Federalist. If you want to read the whole thing, the title is Lawyer's Seven Miscarriages Lead to the Infertility Memoir Everyone Needs to Read. So this this was written about a book um, called Conceivability, What I Learned from Exploring the Frontiers of Fertility. And what this book explored is sort of the moral, ethical, and biological factors that maybe we as a society aren't fully thinking through when it comes to IVF treatments. So a lot of people have different opinions uh, about IVF. Certain religions have certain um, teachings on whether or not IVF is uh, moral and, you know, appropriate and legitimate. Uh, But let's face it, in society today, a lot of women are seeking out IVF treatments. So this one woman, um, Kat can had a nine-year struggle to conceive. Uh, she was able to conceive numerous times, uh, but she had uh, she was unable to carry a healthy pregnancy to term. Um, eventually, she, I, I believe, was able to um, have children via a surrogate. And um, you know, she spent over two hundred or nearly two hundred thousand dollars in pursuit of parenthood. And some of the issues that are brought up in this book that I personally hadn't fully thought through (laughs) is the oddity of us referring to eggs and sperm as donations when everybody knows donors are paid. So, you know, if you're a female egg donor, you can actually make a lot of money from this, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, And yet we still refer to them as egg donors when they're profiting. So she's asking, is, is it appropriate that we're referring to them as donations as if you're making some charity donation when really you're making a lot of money off of that? So that, that's one question. Another question was whether or not it's appropriate for donors to insist that they are anonymous when they donate their eggs because their offspring might need access to uh, health information about their biological parents. Um, Certain countries apparently limit the number of children sperm donors can father. Um, The United States doesn't. So (laughs) this was news to me. But apparently kids in the Bay Area uh, have some kids in the Bay Area have memorized their donor's ID number in case they inadvertently ever date a half sibling. How scary is that? That's very scary. Think about that. And a last issue that I wanted to raise was um, there's a couple that is uh, Catholic that was 
uh, very against abortion and they told their doctors about this and they did not want to be put in the situation of having to abort um, any any children. And, um, you know, the doctor apparently on his own prerogative still went forward and um, planted multiple eggs in, in the wife. And uh, she got pregnant with uh, four different children, um, I guess, two, two, two fraternal twins. Um, and so what happened is she, the, she lost two of the kids. And the other two were born very early at one and a half and, uh, and 1.9 pounds each. Um, apparently, the kids are five now, and the mother still can't talk about what happened with these pregnancies without crying because she is so overcome with guilt. So a big question is, you know, what what should doctors be regulated um, in the amount of eggs they actually um, implant in women when it comes to IVF? There are so many questions, I think, when it comes to IVF. I think this article and this, this book, again, the name is Conceivability, What I Learned Exploring the Frontiers of fertility, they raise a lot of ethical and legal and moral questions that we need to talk about when it comes to IVF, which, you know, I think has become very normalized, but we also need to realize it's still very new. It is. You know, I'm a strong believer in IVF. I think that if people want to become parents, then they should be able to do everything that they can to to make that happen. Um, But clearly there are some ethical and regulatory questions that should be addressed. And this article does a great job of, of balancing all those different angles. Well, we will be right back for our next segment. This is what feminism looks like. And we are back with our next segment called This is What Feminism Looks Like, a segment where we highlight and showcase what we believe are positive examples of feminism in society today. I'm very excited about this feature, Jenny. You know all about it. It's very close to both of our hearts. So backstory. A couple of months ago, Ginny, myself, and another um, of our producers here at Problematic Woman, Lauren Evans, we traveled down to Santa Fe. Um, if you don't know about Santa Fe, you're probably not alone. A lot of people have asked, oh, you went to New Mexico. No, we actually went to Santa Fe, Texas. And some of you might know, some of you might not know, there was a school shooting in Santa Fe High School in May, on May 18th, that left um, 10 people dead, eight students and two teachers. Because Santa Fe still supported the Second Amendment after this happened, it seems like the media really didn't have any interest in covering it, certainly not in the way that they covered the Parkland shooting. Parkland um, you know, everybody knows about Parkland now. Everybody has heard from these student activists. But what's problematic about this situation is there are student activists in Santa Fe who nobody is listening to, nobody's talking to, nobody's giving a platform for their for them to share their stories, their voices, their experiences, and their opinions on what society can and should do in order to keep students safe. So we published a kind of long mini documentary sharing their stories, giving them this voice on thedailysignal.com. I encourage you all to go check out and watch it. But we wanted to play a short teaser highlighting uh, two young female voices that we found down there in Santa Fe to students, Grace Johnson and Annabelle O'Day, who are both survivors of the Santa Fe shooting, who, you know, despite the culture, the media, it seems like everybody is 
against them and, and, and what they stand for, they're still willing to speak up and fight back. And that's why I chose to highlight them in this segment. This is what feminism looks like because it really takes a lot of bravery for them to speak out publicly about their beliefs and their steadfast support for the Second Amendment. So here's a short clip from that. I think the media has treated us completely unfairly. They came to our town expecting us to throw these rallies and you know, march for our lives and um, lay on the ground and with posters, you know, like, that's not what we're doing. We don't want to wait around and protest for change. We want change, but we don't want outsiders coming in and forcing it upon us. It was a boy who stole his dad's guns. And I know that some of them are advocating for people to lock up guns, but I feel like locking up guns would go against the Second Amendment, even if it's in your house. I feel like that's an infringement because if you have a burglar come in, what are you gonna tell them? Like, hold on, like, there's a burglar, let me go, let me go get my gun out of the safe. Most of everybody here has grown up with guns or seen a gun or shot a gun. Most everybody knows how to shoot a gun. Then they know like the number one rule, you know, don't point it at anyone, don't even pick it up, act like it's always got um, ammunition in it. Guns, yes have been used to do some awful things. But guns don't kill people. People kill people. This boy tried making bombs. If there were bombs that gone off, you blame the bomber. If there's a drunk driver accident, you blame the drunk driver. You blame the person, you blame the human. But if it's a shooter, you blame the gun. And that's what society is doing here. You don't have to be okay with guns. but I guess you have to respect that people are. So I'm sure as you just heard, those are two just so well-spoken and strong survivors of something absolutely horrendous. And Kelsey and I were lucky to get to spend so much time with them. And Grace actually was here about two weeks ago up in DC. And um, I got to spend some more time with her. She's about to go off to college. And it's just kind of incredible to keep following their stories and see how they keep persevering through so much anguish and pain and trauma, uh, ultimately. And they actually had a lot to say about a relatively contentious topic, arming teachers and their high school history teacher, Mr. Rose, who left a huge impression on them, also had some words on that as well. I think everyone knows that the media portrays uh, a certain political agenda that they choose to go with. It's not a political agenda that the majority of Santa Fe adheres to. I want all schools safe. That's it. We can agree to disagree on how to go about doing it. I'm open to different solutions. Our schools have to be safe. I think we need to lock doors. <laughs> You know, this door that he came in was a bus entrance that was unlocked. I can tell you I have thought long and hard about the arming of teachers. I don't think that's the end all by any stretch. I don't think it's the magic answer. Uh, but I will say this, I truly wanted that pistol in my hand. Now. Just speaking generally for me, I would do whatever training is involved. 
I would, I would do that. That would not be an issue. I think, quite frankly, that it could be done in a very safe manner. I think uh, the weapons could be stored in a safe manner. Uh, it, all that would have to be done, but uh, let's, let's face it, it's another line of defense against evil. So, Jenny, clearly the students here, the teachers here, are thinking through the actual solutions, what can and should be done to prevent another Santa Fe, another Parkland, another Sandy Hook. But the reality is the media isn't there to listen to them. Um, I was really struck. I'm, I've stayed in touch with Grace Johnson. Um, you know, she she's such a um, strong girl and well-spoken. She's wiser than her years. She's only 18. And she wants to be a voice in this debate. She wants to be up there right next to the Parkland students um, having a conversation about the Second Amendment and school safety. I mean, I, I loved I loved her comment about simply locking doors because sometimes we put the cart before the horse. The student walked in through a door that was unlocked. That would never happen in a bank. That would ha- never happen across the street over at Congress. Doors are locked. Um, so, you know, the gun issue is going to take a while for this country to figure out. But there are things we can and should do sooner than that, that that students like Grace want to um, come together with students from Parkland and, you know, find agreement and make change where they where they can agree instead of just shouting down and yelling at each other or in this case, just ignoring one side of the conversation. But um, I want to end with this. This is something Grace texted me just this morning, and I asked her if I can share this with the audience. She said, if I can do what Kyle does, um, and Kyle is actually the only Second Amendment, uh, vocal Second Amendment supporter to come out of Parkland, um, if I can do what Kyle does, then Santa Fe won't be forgotten like we have already have been. I've tried working at a local level, but it's not working because I'm young. And no one is speaking out for Santa Fe. Yes, we kicked out the media, but that's because they didn't want to talk about politics or change. They only wanted video of us crying. That really broke my heart to hear her say that. Mm -hmm. Because on one hand, Santa Fe doesn't want the media there anymore because they felt they were so mistreated and they were being taken advantage of. The media only wanted videos, as she said, of them crying. When in reality... They do have a voice. They do have a platform. A group of students started a nonprofit called Hearts United for Kindness. Please go follow them on Facebook and check them out. Um, They are doing things, um, but the media isn't interested in that. It's like they only wanted to exploit them, um, you know, and and get video of them, of, of the drama of them crying rather than the actual solutions they're working towards. You know, and Kyle Cashew from Parkland has done such an incredible job of rallying Second Amendment supporters, getting young people, you know, Generation Z now, politically active and motivated. And, you know, I think the more the merrier, the more voices we can have, the stronger we all become. Especially female voices. On that note, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. All right, it's time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And this week, Kelsey, it is Turning Point USA's Candace Owens. And 
Rightfully so, I'm sure many of you have seen the now viral videos of what she and Turning Point founder Charlie Kirk went through in Philadelphia. So some backstory, they were in Philadelphia conducting some business meetings for their organization when they were confronted quite viciously by an alleged Antifa uh, mob in, in protest. And when you, when you watch the video, it's just, it's incredible. Charlie is dunked with different drinks. Uh, people are yelling just kind of horrendous things at Candace Owens that actually don't make much sense. They're calling her, you know, white supremacist, things like that. And what really struck me, Kelsey, is in the clip, you can see that the police officers who are defending Kirk and Owens, they're black, they're Latino, and, and they're trying to stand between them and this angry, vicious mob. And, you know, Candace was just incredible in the way that she handled this. Before we break this down anymore, take a listen to what exactly she went through. So I guess when you don't have an argument, just shriek to make noise. I literally had to just take my headphones off because those screams are so piercing. And imagine them. In your ear like that, like they were doing to Candace, in her ear. And so outnumbered. I mean, props to her and Charlie for just remaining so They were so graceful. Yeah. That's incredible. But it is disappointing, certainly, to see this kind of behavior done. And I don't think it's quite gotten the amount of media attention that it deserves or that we would see if this was a couple of of liberal activists. By any means, I did see that CNN did put out an article. So that is Well, and I I did see Candace went on MSNBC Mm -hmm. last, uh, well, it was was Tuesday. Tuesday night uh, and had quite a confrontation, confrontational interview there. Um, They did not give her, they accused her of personally attacking the guest when she was really just defending herself. But I really would put it to Democrats and liberals, is this behavior that you defend? Is this the party who you want to be? A party that acts like infants on the streets and shouts people out of restaurants, screams in their ears on the streets, kicks kicks black women out of all people out of restaurants and you know chants about white supremacy to a black woman a black accomplished woman i think the most you know it's it's a lot of virtue signaling signaling going on here and i think what we all need to remember is that um you know african americans have their own history and each one of them are individuals allowed to formulate their own thoughts and opinions decide who to vote for and the most i think the most empowering thing you can do for minority communities is empower them with with the voice to um, speak out, believe, and vote for whatever or whomever they want. Um, shouting down, uh, shouting down Candace Owens because she supports the president is so oppressive, in my opinion. It is, and I actually, with the Daily Signal, had an opportunity about two weeks ago to sit down with Charlie and Candace at the same time at their high school leadership summit here in D.C., and it's so ironic, Kelsey, because many of the topics we discussed were karma, you know, putting positive energy out in the world, building up, not breaking down, and you really get a glimpse into how they're trying to operate, and it's it's very admirable, especially given the connection that they now have with high school students, college students, so if you want to see that video, go to our Facebook, go to our YouTube page, go to DailySignal.com. Uh, it's short, but it's definitely worth watching, especially given what these two people just went through in Philadelphia. Yes. Well, major shout out to Candace for being a strong, independent, problematic woman. We are proud to support you, Candace.
We are. Well, that's going to wrap up our show this week. Thank you all for tuning in. And as always, if you know of a problematic woman, please let us know. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Jenny Maltabano. You can also follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist. And today it was produced by our amazing intern, Lexi King. She is a rising superstar. Remember that name. Uh, This is her last week. So Lexi, we will miss you. And thank you for everything you have done to support Problematic Woman. And I'd say for being a problematic woman yourself. (laughs) Definitely. Lexi, you've done an incredible job. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing it with your friends and for supporting strong, independent, conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. 